some people are successful at keeping rules of morality, while other people crumble under such rules and are really unsuccessful. And others decide to become an entire law to themselves, not even acknowledging that such universal laws of morality even exist. Our focus in uh, this sermon will be on the first two, those who are seemingly good at keeping the laws of morality and then those who are seemingly poor at keeping laws of morality. The first in their successes could become puffed up. The second in their failures could feel powerless. You see, the Bible offers a vastly different way to shape your morality. Christian, not one of us strikes the balance of not being or never being puffed up or, or never feeling powerless when it comes to abiding by the word of God. Rather than do's and don'ts, the scripture tells us to find a superior pleasure and a superior purpose to overwhelm those inferior purposes and pleasures. In the early 1800s, a man by the name of Thomas Chalmers in Scotland delivered a sermon to a bunch of pastors called the expulsive power of a new affection. The expulsive power of a new affection. And because it's a little wordy, I'm not going to read it uh, word for word. I, I substituted in some words. But here's basically what he's saying. If you want to increase your morality, your way of living, if you want to follow the law of God better, do's and don'ts don't work. What you need is you can need to find something that is superior in its pleasure, something that is better, that will make something that is inferior less appealing to you. So find something that brings you more joy. This is what he says. There are two ways in which a practical moralist may attempt to displace from the human heart and its love for the world. Either by a demonstration of the world's vanity so that the heart shall be prevailed upon simply to withdraw in regards from an object that is not worthy of it. Or by setting forth another object, even God, as more worthy of its attachment. So that the heart shall be prevailed upon not to resign an old affection. That is not to just say no to something. But to exchange an old affection for a new one. The former method is altogether incompetent and ineffectual. And the latter method will alone suffice for the rescue and recovery of the heart from the wrong affection that domineers over it. The expulsive power, the effective power of a new affection. In our text today, Ephesians 5, 7 to 14, this is where the Apostle Paul is aiming at. Uh, we talked last week about sexual morality and has that, that has no place in, amongst Christianity and among the church. And Paul is still speaking that today. But then he ends by giving us more hope, more help. He ends in giving us a higher pleasure and a higher 
purpose. The text is Ephesians 5, 7 to 14, but I'm going to read 5, 3 to 14. That's found on page 978 of the Bibles in your pew, if you would like to follow along. Starting in verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. As is proper among saints, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's pray one more time. Lord, as we've been singing this morning about your power, we pray that in the power of the Holy Spirit, you would increase our faith and our trust. Show us for the purposes that we were made for. Help us to enjoy you, O God. Lord, we pray that you would work through the preaching of your word, that you would breathe life into this church body. And we pray for anyone who doesn't know you, whether a child or grown up, Lord, you would show them the wisdom of the cross of Christ and the power of the resurrection. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Church, I'm going to, I created a sentence to help us walk through this sermon and I'm going to break the sentence down into three parts. So if you're a note taker. Here is that sentence. As children of light, don't partner with darkness, but expose darkness. And have confident joy in the transforming power of light. I'll read it again. As children of light, don't partner with darkness, but expose darkness. And have confident joy in the transforming power of light. Let's look at that first part. As children of light, don't partner with darkness. Do not partner with darkness. Verses 7 to the first half of 11. Verse 7 says, therefore, do not, partner, do not become partners with them. He's referring to people who are sons of disobedience, as is written back in verse 6. Against these sons of disobedience, the wrath of God is coming. This... Same language has already been expressed in chapter 
2. Back in chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, a pretty well-known passage of Scripture if you're unfamiliar with Christianity, if you're new to Christianity. Paul says that as sons of disobedience, we once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You see, in the apostles' mind, sons of disobedience are also children of wrath and have wrath coming to them. And he's reminding Christians, a Christian church, the church at Ephesus, and then Christian churches of all time, that you too were once sons of dis- disobedience. That you too were once children of wrath. And now he says, because you've been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son, that you are now children of light. Your father is no longer Satan, the prince of the power of the air. The father of lies, the father of evil, the father of lust, the father of coveting. But God, the father. God, the father of truth, of righteousness, and the God of all goodness. This is your new father. And because you have a new dad, you have a new way of walking. You have a new way of living. Just as you were born again into a new family, you now bear new fruit. Not unfruitful acts of darkness, but the fruit of light. You have a new character and therefore you have no reason. It makes no logical sense to partner with acts of darkness. Now partnering with them is not an exhortation to avoid all interaction with unbelievers. And what he's saying here is we should avoid joining with them in the sins of sexual immorality, or as we talked about last week, the word can be fornication or even lust. You see, sexual immorality is any lustful desire for someone that is not your own spouse. It's the way Jesus defines it. So sexual immorality is any lustful desire for someone that is not your spouse. It can be a thought in the heart. It can be an adulterous relationship. Or it can be about someone you've never met but are staring at on the TV or the computer screen. That is sexual morality. And Scripture says do not partner with them. And the reason given is because God's wrath is against those acts of darkness. So as children of light, it makes no sense. It's illogical, irrational to become partners, to join with others in those acts of darkness. Friends, sometimes we think of God's wrath as something scary or maybe unbecoming of a loving God. But his wrath overflows from his love. His wrath is concrete opposition to evil. And because he is loving and because he is the good God of all time and eternity, his wrath toward evil is eternally and vehemently opposed. God's kingdom, which is the church of Christ, should also oppose them and not partner with them. So he's not saying to shun people who are characterized by this lifestyle. He's not saying to isolate ourselves from unbelievers who 
practice such things. But he's saying don't join in with them. We are not to team up with them in crude joking, in fornication, in impurity. You see, ours is a different anthem. Ours is the anthem of light, of goodness, of truth, of righteousness. I I wonder if some of you are a little uncomfortable with the way I'm saying this. We've been taught so well to understand the the Martin Luther idea of of really total depravity or John Calvin. And and I'm saying that's true. We all are liable and all are guilty of sin and even more specifically sexual immorality. Even down just to the, just a thought. But all is liable and holds us accountable under a holy God. But Paul here is, is, is making a difference. You see, he knows the human heart. That is, Paul, the, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, knows the human heart. And he's saying that there are a category of people in the world that are characterized by giving themselves over to fornication. And then there's a church. The church, while still struggling with thoughts and actions, is not characterized by this. And so he says for the church, don't partner with them. And as we looked at last week, there's several ways that we can be partners with darkness in this kind of regard. One of those ways is humor. And the word that was used last week is, is a word that is, uh, was translated uh, back in the 300s by a man named Chrysostom, or Chrysostom, called witticisms. So the word is only used once in Ephesians, and it's like using your wit, your cleverness, in a way that jokes about sexual morality. Um, and he says that we should have no part in that. So what does this mean? Should Christians not be funny? Not at all. Some of the most funny people I know don't need to use this kind of humor to get a laugh. Or, or some of you who are really gifted at wit and being clever, you know that you don't have to go down this route. I wonder for you, if you, as a Christian, you've ever watched a show and you're really enjoying it. And all of a sudden, what does it do? It goes into that crude joking that the apostles here is talking about. That's, that's just the ways of the world. And I'm not here to give you a law of tell you what you should or should not watch. But I'm here to tell you what God's word says. That you should avoid and not partner with such crude joking and humor. Uh, Norm MacDonald is a famous comedian as far as I know. He, he, not a Christian. Uh, he said this in an interview with Jerry Seinfeld, another famous comedian. He says, as I get older, I understand the value of clean comedy. As I get older, I understand the value of clean comedy and how it is a superior form of comedy. A superior form of comedy. So debase minds, darkened minds, so quickly can run to unclean comedy. And friends, as Christians, we should not partner in that way in our humor. A second way that we should not be partners with darkness, in particular the darkness of sexual morality, is in our thought life. We are those who look at other men and look at other women, especially in the church, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as family members. 
And we are those who look at people outside the church as those who need to be redeemed by the grace of God, the same grace that purchased us. A third way is by our web activity. Uh, Friends, consider this. When you look at something inappropriate, and I'll keep it at that level for this sermon, when you look at something inappropriate on the web, you are essentially partnering or joining with what you're watching. You're saying, I'm with you on this. I'm with you on exploitation. I'm with you on trafficking. And I'm, in essence, giving you money and viewership to keep this thing going. Friends, that's, in essence, a partnership. You're teaming up with the trafficking industry. You see, the reality is, you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who makes a living for doing inappropriate things online that gladly signed up and wants to be there. News reports, stats show that most of the people online that are making a career of that have been allured, victimized, kidnapped even into that kind of profession. And church, if we could only see that that is an image bearer who is trapped and stuck in a world of darkness, we would be less inclined to team up, to partner, to click that button. You are objectifying that person online. You are saying to those works of darkness, you are saying to that pimp, that trafficker, yeah, I'll give money to this. I'll keep your business running. And the reality is, most of us are liable to doing that, me included. Not of recent. And so is that, if that's you, brother or sister, just consider what God's word says. Do not partner with them. And humor and thought life in your web activity. As children of light, secondly, expose darkness. Expose darkness. Do you see the logic here? There's no neutrality. You're not isolating yourself. You're not just saying no, 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 no. But there's an action. There's a call to action here. Expose darkness. Second half of verse 11 says, but... Instead, expose them. Instead of this partnership with lust, with fornication, bring it to the light. Because it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. As opposed to fellowship with them, he's not asking them to get in a bunker and distance themselves from the lustful works of darkness. He's imploring them, imploring us that in the church when this goes on, bring it to light. That's how works of darkness become light. When people take a stand against them and no longer partner with them. Uh, Friends, he's speaking about shameful works. So there's other lists in scripture where it gets on to this. You can look at the Old Testament for more of those shameful works. 
But just consider the various kind of shameful works that he might be mentioning. Kept in the darkness. He's saying those things should not exist in the church. Now, a fuller place in scriptures where the response of sexual morality in the church is more detailed and, and more explained can be found in, in 1 Corinthians 5. I'm going to ask you guys to turn there with me. 1 Corinthians 5, which is found on page 954 of your pew Bible. I'm going to read verses 9 to 13, but... What's going on here is this, there is a church, an established church, the church at Corinth, just like the church, one of Baptist church. And in this church, it is known publicly of a vile sexual morality practice that is ongoing, that is unrepentant, and is done by someone who calls himself a Christian, that is a brother in Christ. And it gets even more specific. Someone who goes by the name of a Christian is having sexual relationships with his stepmother. Folks, it's in the Bible. It's right there. His father's wife. And the church knows about it. And the church hasn't done anything about this act of darkness. So again, Paul's exhortation in Ephesians is talking to the church. So in 1 Corinthians 5, 9, he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. That is people defined by this. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world. Or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world. You see that? He's saying it's, it's okay to have friendships. But there's something wrong about associating. And I think committing or as we do in our church covenanting with other church members there's something that's illogical and doesn't make sense and Christians should not associate with the sexually immoral people like this man verse 11 1 Corinthians 5:11 but now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater reviler drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, but purge the evil person from among you. So, so what does it mean for us? What does it mean to expose the darkness? This is what it's getting at. A few more questions about this. I, I enjoy chatting with you about it. But it means that if anyone is happy and persistent and unwilling and uncaring and hardened to a point where they say, I'm not going to change. I don't care what you say. I'm going to keep persisting in this act of sexual morality. Then we expose it. You can look at Matthew chapter 18 to see more detailed way of that, how that happens. You can continue reading 1 Corinthians 5. Uh, friends, that comes after much conversations. And then that's where the uh, practice of church discipline comes in. Uh, that's how one way that we expose it. But an, another way to expose it is just to bring it to light yourself. So if it's in the church and you see seeds of what could end up in a really, uh, a really uh, more gross, more public 
form of fornication uh, in your own heart, find a brother, find a sister, confess those to them. That's how God often uses those little seedlings of fornication, of sexual morality to not grow anymore. Is that we come, we find someone and we say, hey, would you pray for me in this? And get very honest, very real about the, uh, with caution, with wisdom, I guess, about the different forms and the different thoughts. Be very discerning about what you confess, but bring it out into light. So that has less a chance to grow and so that other brothers and sisters can pray for you. So does this give us any direction for the darkness in the world? So Paul is talking about the darkness in the church here. But does it give us any direction in the world? I think the next portion, uh, verses uh, 13 and 14, do talk about that. But, But let me just mention this for a second. I think that we are more prone, uh, we are better fighters, if you will, if we are aware of how this goes on in our city or our community or our world. So if we're aware, I don't know how many of you are aware of this, but Kansas City is one of the trafficking, trafficking capitals of the nation. We have something like the 25th highest population. But when it comes to trafficking, because of our location right in the middle of the country, with 70 and 35, we have, some of the, we have some of the most highest traffic rates. And you can find some really good websites online to help you understand the stats there. But the more we understand that, what is going on and the evils of trafficking, the more we can desire that higher purpose to care for people, to bring to light the darkness. Second Corinthians 4, 6 says, let light shine out of darkness as shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So we don't expo- we, we do expose acts in our church and we aren't surprised by the acts of the world. But I don't think that means we just hunker down. There are other places in scripture we can go to talk about this. But let me move to our last point. We'll mention some more of what it looks like to expose these acts of darkness in the world. Uh, Lastly, as children of light, have confidence that light transforms darkness. As children of light, have confidence that light transforms darkness. Verse 13 of chapter 5. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So just think for a second. How does darkness become light? The light shines and the darkness disappears. So imagine being in this room all by yourself at 11 p.m. Done it a few times. It's, It's a little eerie. A lot of creaks from this, especially with the old boiler. Make lots of crazy noises. Imagine all the lights are off. The curtains are pulled. Or pulled. Pulled. What are they? Closed? There's the word. The curtains are closed. And it's 11 p.m. It's total darkness. 
And if the lights are flipped on, then the light has exposed darkness and the room becomes visible by light. It's a very simple illustration because the very simple illustration is given here in Scripture. Darkness becomes light when light shines on it. This is the hope for sons of disobedience and for the children of light. For the sons of disobedience, that is for the unbeliever, here's the hope in the text. That, expo- that the darkness of all hearts can be exposed by the message of Christ. You see, currently in the sons of disobedience, anyone who does not know Christ, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So if anyone doesn't know Christ, it's because they're blinded. They've got darkness. They don't have eyes to see. Their hearts are darkened and they can't see the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. And so in a very similar way that God spoke light into this world and created this world and spoke light into the darkness, Christ has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's how people can become born again. So the hope is that God is a God who speaks light into darkness. Everyone who is a Christian here has lived in darkness and in the futility of their minds. We all were at one time vehemently opposed to the light of Christ. But one day, this is our story. If you're not a Christian here, we don't come with judgment or any superiority of thought or mind. The lights were just turned on and we saw. One day the light of Christ broke through the darkness and we no longer saw Jesus as weak or incapable of helping us. And we no longer saw him and his message as foolish, but as the very wisdom of God. So if you're an unbeliever here, I'm so glad you're here for this message. This is a message of hope, not of condemnation. You already stand guilty before a holy God. You are already condemned. This is the message of light. Jesus was prophesied about in the prophets to bring light unto the nations. Though tempted in every way by sin, yes, even the sin of lust, It never allured him in the same way it does us. And therefore, having never traded the light for darkness, he never committed adultery. He never was even in the presence of an adulteress and he never objectified her. He never took advantage of his place of authority. And yet he dined with prostitutes. He dined with swindlers. Yet he never partnered with them. He was a perfect and complete sacrifice on the cross. And he tasted death. And then the power of God raised him from the dead. And now Jesus is on the throne. And his throne is called the throne of grace. If you are not a Christian, come to that throne of grace. You will find a merciful Christ who is ready to extend grace to you. As he did to all of us who are in Christ. It is not by our own efforts. It is not by our own morality that we call ourselves Christians. It is purely by the gracious act of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Hebrews says, he sits on the throne of grace. And he is glorified when needy, 
helpless sinners come to him asking for grace. You see, Jesus says that I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Coming to him, we find the light of life. And it is good, it is glorious, it is right, and it is true. In a sense, you will find the new way of living, but you'll really find the way you were meant to live for him. You see, the light exposes and it transforms. Now look at the very last part of verse 14 there. In your Bible, it it probably is indented there. You see that? That's because this is a combination of a few different Old Testament, maybe two different Old Testament passages. And many theologians and commentators think that this was a a Christian song that was uh, commonly sung in the early church. It says... Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is a hymn that reminds the Christian of his or her experience when they became united with Christ. You see, because Christ, it can can seem a bit out of place here. Because Paul is saying, oh, yeah, yeah, therefore, remember this Christian hymn. But, but here's the logic of it all. Because Jesus experienced the evils of murder, not that he himself was a murderer, but that he himself was murdered. And such vile acts of killing the Lord of Lords, and he tasted death. He has the very power to forgive murderers. He is merciful toward all sinners. Toward pimps and toward prostitutes. He's merciful toward homewreckers. And because he know, he's dined with them, because he died for all those who come to him, he knows your very heart. He knows the evils that can exist in your heart. And so, friends, come to him honestly about what you have done, about what you want to do about your thoughts. Your thoughts are not hidden from his eyes. He sees all. He knows all. And he can be gracious and merciful toward all thoughts. Even the most embarrassing thoughts that reside in your heart and your mind. See, the reality is if there was a screen up behind me that put all of our thoughts individually of the last week or year, we would be totally embarrassed. Whether it's lustful thoughts, whether it's thoughts of hatred, thoughts of greed. Each one of us, the person to your left, right, in front of you, behind you, we would be completely embarrassed and felt exposed. The good news is, Jesus is not surprised by that. He knows that all he is asking you to do, dear Christian, is to come to him with those things. And there you will find a gracious Christ. You will understand why he is our Christ who is sitting on the throne of grace. So in your prayer times, are you honest with him? Are you honest with him? See how he works when you just open up your heart and say, Lord... Here I am. I'm feeling this. I'm tempted this way. 
And then at the same time, you will find a community of believers in this church who will love to wrap their arms around you and who will also need people to wrap their arms around them when they are feeling tempted and needy and feeling allured by the ways of darkness. We are all people who are tempted with the ways of darkness. And we are all people who know that light shines in darkness and that Christ has that kind of power. You see, the forces of darkness thrive the longer that light is withheld. The forces of darkness thrive and grow and desires increase the longer that the light is withheld. The light comes from Christ and the light comes from other brothers and sisters speaking that message of light into your heart. So as Paul says, therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. This combined reference from Isaiah chapter 60, Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 26, which Andrea read earlier. Friend, if you're not maybe struggling or tempted in the more narrow way that I think the apostle's getting at here and that the sermon's about, you still have a role to play in this. You see, you are in a covenant community. You have a body of believers, as Matt prayed about earlier. We are united as one. And so you can't just know that, you know, 50, 80% of the other Christians this church are struggling this way, but I'm not, and therefore this doesn't apply to me. No, 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 no. You see that as a merciful time of your life where you're not particularly struggling in the ways that the apostle is addressing here. And you use that to mentor others, to give them hope that it's possible not to be in this battle and be slugged out so constantly, so steadfastly. But there's hope on the other side. And you pray for them. You open up your membership directory and you pray for your brothers and sisters. But also, if you look back in the previous part of chapter 5, we know that the desire, that sexual morality, fornication really flows out of coveting. And we all can relate to coveting, can't we? Wanting something that God hasn't given us. As I close here, I open up the sermon by saying that if you want to increase in your sexual ethic or your morality, if you want more pure thoughts and actions, the answer to that isn't just to say no to that which is good, but it's to replace that which is better. So as I close here, the two application points is to find a higher pleasure and to find a higher purpose. To find a higher purpose pleasure and to find a higher purpose. And I think this is rooted in the text. So if you look at the text here of Ephesians 5 in the song, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Uh, what is that referring to? If you look back to Isaiah chapter 60 or Isaiah chapter 26, this is a prophecy of the resurrection of the king, of the Christ, the anointed conqueror. Every time the resurrection is mentioned, the theme of joy is right behind it. And so think of Psalm 16, which the Apostle Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2. Psalm 16 says, In your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. 
you will not let your holy one undergo decay. That is, your anointed one, the promised one, will not undergo decay and forever be in the grave. But he's shown in the path of light. And in that path of life, there is fullness of joy. So friend, find a higher pleasure. Trust that Jesus is the higher pleasure. John 10, 10, the thief comes only to kill and to steal and destroy. But I have come to what? You may have life and have it what? Abundantly. Have it to the fullest. You see, this ethic, this morality that God is calling to is not without much joy and pleasure. Better than the acts of darkness. Secondly, Find a higher purpose. Know that you are in a cosmic battle. See, we are in some sense made for warfare. And we are in this cosmic battle. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Doesn't that excite you? There's something going on that I can't see. And God is calling me to get involved in it. Friend, use that inner warrior desire to fight this battle. To be a voice for those trafficked victims. To speak out against evils in our society. And so know, brother or sister, when that temptation is coming hard on you, Know that that's just not coming out of anywhere, of nowhere. That's a fiery dart from the evil one. And then God has equipped you in every way to overcome that. Pray. Say no. Get up. Get out of the state you're in. Call a friend. That friend doesn't answer. Call another friend. Send out a mass text. This is how you fight this fight. You're in a cosmic battle. Remember, in your higher purpose, you have a holy calling. You are a chosen race, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So many people stop short of that so that. I'm a chosen race, I'm a royal priesthood, I'm a holy nation, a people for his own possession. But then God gives you a purpose there. So that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So many Christians are bored with the Great Commission. So many Christians are able, are, don't think about their neighbors and their need for the gospel. And I think there's a correlation to the Christian who is just kind of slugging it out. Day after day, seeing very little victory in their involvement of proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when you are active in the Great Commission... And I mean, when you talk about it with other people, when you go to UMKC and proclaim the gospel, when you have friends over for dinner, or even as Matt prayed, when you pray for other works in unreached areas like Turkey, that gets you off of yourself and that reminds you that there's a purpose by which God has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So know your higher purpose. Know that the light of Christ is meant to shine Through you, you are light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. People don't light a lamp and put it under a basket on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
Christian, know the purpose to which God has called you. You as a former person living in darkness have now been changed so that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light so that others might be no longer in darkness but may walk in light. So in conclusion, brothers and sisters, I plead with you, find the higher pleasure of knowing Christ, of communing with him, of walking with him. He will satisfy you beyond anything this world can offer. And know that you were created for a higher purpose. On a very practical level, I encourage you all to get a group of brothers or sisters, two to three. Have solid friendship that you meet with regularly. Think about all the other commitments that you're making throughout the week. Sports commitments to watch them or to play with them. Or maybe to take your kids to practice. You have work commitments. You probably watch. You have entertainment commitments. Of all these things, prioritize brotherhood and sisterhood. What can be more important than finding a group of brothers and sisters to help you Remind you of your higher purpose and the higher pleasure of knowing Christ. A place where you can honestly confess sins. A place where you can feel safe and not judged. If you have more questions about that, if you need to find someone, come talk to me afterwards. I'll point you to other people who are looking for the same thing. Before I close some prayers, spend a few moments in silent, silent reflection. Then I'll close this in prayer and then we'll sing his mercies more. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you did not remain in the grave and we do not remain in darkness. That the Spirit breathed life into your body and now we have this holy inheritance and we have this power and ability to overcome darkness because it is the same power that rose that raised you from the dead. Help our church to believe this. We pray, Lord, that we would be a church where it is common for sinful thoughts to come into the light. And for us to, in a sense, be okay with that. But in another sense, not to be okay with that. Give us wisdom and discernment as we move forward as a church committed to proclaiming your excellencies. We pray that you would do this in Christ's name. Amen.